Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, this is Magnastics episode 10. Was supposed to be episode 11, but uh, yeah, here we are. Episode 10. <laughs> Obviously, we've only released one episode in all. No, no. One episode, <laughs> one episode since COVID started. Yes, that's what we've missed a lot. Yes, but that's okay. We're here now. (laughs) All right, so we have 40, what what is it, like 40 something days until the Olympics now. So I think we're just gonna hop right into our recent qualifiers. Yeah, so the Asian Championships ended up being canceled. So the two Olympic qualifiers that were supposed to be determined at those championships are now reallocated based on um, 2019 Worlds. Yeah, so our... Two qualifiers from the canceled Asian Championships are uh, Jin Feng Tang, I hope I pronounced that right, from Vietnam, and Lu Fei Zing from Malaysia, um, who goes by Jeremiah. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and that means we'll have uh, two gymnasts from Vietnam at the Olympics because um, they already had one qualify through the vault final. At Worlds. So we'll have two now. Yeah. All right. So on to the European Championships. Those were the first continental championships held. So might as well go there. Um, where do we want to start with, with qualifying? Do you want to start with what happened in podium training? Um, yeah, let's start with what happened in podium training. So, Nikita Nagorny debuted a triple pike on floor, and I think just about everyone lost their minds. I think he broke my brain. (laughs) Yeah, and that's... So he did successfully competed in qualifications and it's been given an I value. So that's officially the hardest element on floor right now. Yeah. And the only other I element in the code is a Miyachi. So those like the two, like definitively, these are the hardest two skills in the code. Mm -hmm. And weren't we talking about how, Nikita was originally toying with doing a full twisting triple tuck, but decided the triple pike was easier. Yeah, something. yeah, I did read that he he wanted so he wanted a new skill, and originally the plan was for to do a full twisting triple back, but then he decided that the triple pike was the easier option, which is just insane because obviously. 
triple pikes aren't supposed to be easier than anything. But he's Nikita, and he's crazy, and the triple pike is now the Nagorni. Yep. I think he could do a full twisting triple pike, though. I think he could do it. Probably. Considering most of the attempts or most of the times we've seen him do the triple pike, he's gone backwards. So. Yeah, that's true. All right. So on to the actual qualifications. It's in a bit of a strange area at the moment because we're not quite sure who's qualified. (laughs) So the um, Olympic qualifiers are based off of the qualification rounds at the Continental Championships. So at Euros, um, in qualifications, the first eligible person was Alexander Kartsev of Russia, who came in third behind Nikita and David Belyavsky. However, whether or not Russia actually gets that spot from Euros depends on the Apparatus Cup spot. So, either way, Russia's getting a plus one. We just don't know where it's coming from at the time of this recording. Yeah, because the World Cup series spots take precedence because they were supposed to be finished by now but Doha was rescheduled to be at the end of June so there's the likely possibility that Vladislav Polishov will earn the parallel bar spot in which case Russia don't get to count their Euro spot but if he doesn't get the World Cup spot then Russia does get their year spot and they can name someone into that plus one. So it's just a bit of a let's wait and see situation. I think Polyashov has said he's not going to go to Doha. He's just going to see how it plays out. So the next highest placing eligible person to qualify for Tokyo is, I feel like we need a drum roll for this, Adam Masil of Turkey, who plays fifth in qualifying, which it's almost kind of bittersweet because his qualification makes him the fourth Turkish man to qualify. So they have four people, but they can't qualify as a team or they can't compete as a team. Which is very sad because all of them are very talented. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people being like, this shows just how like ridiculous this qualification system is that they haven't got a team, but they've got four individuals. But then again, we're at 2019 worlds. Um, Adem was not there. He wasn't competing for Turkey yet. So, right. It kind of benefited him more than anything. If you want to look at it that way. I don't know. 
So, assuming that uh, Polyashev gets the parallel bars spot through the World Cups, um, that means that based on these qualifications results, uh, Nicola Bartolini of Italy would be the second person to qualify from the Continental Championships. So that's very exciting. Yeah, and he was not one of the people that I most expected to be challenging for one of those spots. He did really, really well. Yeah, you know what? Because he's he struggled a lot with injuries the past couple of years, so he hasn't really done all around in a while, I think. Which is why at least the two of us weren't really thinking about him. Uh, but you know what? He had a great day, was very clean, and it just kind of sucks that he has to wait now until the apparatus cup spots are done because this happened at the end of April. So he's basically been waiting two months just to find out whether or not he can go to Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, I would not want to be him right now. <laughs> Definitely not. All right, so on to the floor final. What about the all-around? Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what you're doing, you're trying to rob me of the, a bit of the chance to talk about the Ukrainians. Okay, just let me talk so, about Ilya Kovtun. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's talk about the all-around final and Ilya. Okay. Who got bronze in the all-around final? Ilya Kovtun! <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, hold on. Before we get into that, um, to no one's surprise, Nikita won the all-around title. Title. Um, and David Belyavsky got silver, so. Yeah, I mean, Nikita won. He broke 88. He, you know, he did general Nikita things. Then David also did really well, had some problems on rings and vault, but also not really that much of a surprise. His rings and vault are not the highlights of his competition. Um, but he was very solidly in second anyway. And then in third place was Ilya Kovtun. And I was so excited. So excited. So for anyone who doesn't know, Ilya Kovtun is from Ukraine. And he is 17 years old. In 2020, he was the junior European all-around champion. As well as winning like a bajillion other medals. Um, he's... Yeah, so as a junior, he was very successful. So, like, his big senior transition and um, very successful. Uh, third all-around, he actually only qualified in um, 11th place. Right. He was one of the people we thought was going to get the, the plus one spot, and he didn't have 
the best of days. Not that it was bad, but it definitely was not what he was capable of, clearly. But he he pulled it out for the all-around final, so. Yeah, he improved his score by about about three and a half points. Not quite, but about 3.4-ish. 3.4, 3.5. So a very big improvement. And he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was just so hyped. Like, I, I, I had been saying before the competition, like, I think he can get bronze, I think he can get bronze. But, like... I wasn't sure I actually believed he was going to do it. Because um, he's, you know, he's young, he's inexperienced. Um, as a senior, he's inexperienced. Obviously, he did a lot of junior competitions. But, yeah, and so also that bronze makes him basically a lock for the Ukrainian Olympic team, which is very exciting. Um, and especially with the Oleg situation, Ukraine's basically getting their butt saved by this 17-year-old. Basically, since we still don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. No one has absolutely any idea what's going on. No one will talk about it. He's still training, apparently. Um, Well, obviously, because he keeps posting training videos. Um, But no word on Oleg, so... Yeah. Nope. Did you want to talk about Kostyuk as well? Yes. Um, so the other 17-year-old Ukrainian in this final, um, Vladimir Kostyuk, he qualified um, in 21st place. And um, he was actually quite lucky to not get knocked out by Tupa Country, but uh, Udenkov placed 26th in qualifying. So basically qualifying was not a good time for the Ukrainians. But then in the final, uh, Kostyuk, again, he increased his score by several points and ended up in seventh place. So, yeah, I guess the Ukrainians just don't like qualifying. <laughs> They just need to, <laughs> once they make the final, they're fine, but they have to get there in the first place is the issue. Yeah, I think also with Kovtun and Kostyuk, it shows that they're, they're not going anywhere as a team. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if things go right, I mean, like I said, qualifying is not their favorite time. But if things go right, they can still make the team final in Tokyo without Oleg, which is a pretty big deal. Right. I also meant, like, after these Olympics, um, you know, they've got a lot of promising, well, not a lot, but several promising younger guys. So, Yeah, for sure. It's like sneak peek of whenever the older guys retire but I'm not sure any of them have any plans to so we'll wait and see (laughs) and also because I'm just I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the results right now and I've got a little thing at the top that says like the youngest and oldest competitor in each final and for the all around Ilya was the youngest obviously 
and the oldest was David Believsky, and they both made the podium. I think that's really cool. That that is an interesting fact. Is there anything else you want to say about the all-around final? Um, I can't believe Christian Bauman got a zero on vault. That was sad. I know. I kind of forgot about that. It was like, just like a freak. He Was it he missed his foot on the springboard? Yeah, it slipped. All right, so on to the floor final. Anyone want to take a guess who won? Mr. 6.8 start value, Nikita Nagorny. Yeah, and he upgraded, like, on the fly for that routine. Oh, my God, was not expecting it. So his normal routine with the triple pike is a 6.6. And he upgraded two tenths because he did his full twisting double back, which is normally his dismount as a side pass, and then he dismounted with a double double. Um, Casual, just perfectly normal thing to do. <laughs> um, you know, I was just like mind blown. I can never trust him again. What's he gonna do? Um, yeah. That was a really good final, the floor final. Like, there was one fall um, from Prokopiev, who was the highest qualifier. But other than that, it was it was just a really nice final. And um, the other medals went to Benjamin Guichard and Nicola Bartolini. And they were, like, the happiest medalists ever. They were so excited. Like, everyone was having a great time. Well, you also you also have to remember that these championships took place in Switzerland, so it was like a medal at home for Guichard. Yeah, and Guichard and Bartolini had such clean routines; they were both just like nailed everything. And um, Bartolini had the lowest difficulty of the final, so to get third was very impressive. Yeah, he's a very stylistic gymnast, which a lot of people talk about, so. Yeah. And I also think it was, like, our first major floor final with two triple backs in it. Like, is that an accurate statement? I don't know. I think we might have had it on in maybe like a world cup final before but i don't think like at like euros or worlds that's a good question i don't know although technically it was not two triple backs it was one triple back and one triple pike so (laughs) (laughs) semantics yeah all right so on to uh, pommel horse this oh what a mess yeah, well, some interesting things happened in qualifying. Um, Everyone fell. Yeah. So Max Whitlock did not qualify to this final. Which um, is a surprise because he's usually very consistent. 
Like yeah. it's rare to see him fall. I think if he does happen to make a big mistake like that, it's usually in the final. So unless yeah. I'm just making stuff up. No, I can't so. remember the last time he's not made a final. I think it was like twenty fourteen worlds or something. So anyway. Um it was not a great final. Half of the finalists fell. <laughs> um so we got some medalists we weren't really expecting. Yeah, but what is very interesting is that there was technically a tie for first place between Nikita Nagorny and Artur Davtian of Armenia, but Davtian won the gold on the tiebreak procedure. Yeah. And I think, like, just looking at it, he, like, he did have the best routine. Yeah, he was he was the cleanest as well. So yeah, he got the highest execution score. Um, I think I remember thinking when I was watching it live that maybe Nikita would go ahead of him, but um, yeah, I mean even just like, did we think we'd see Nikita Nagorny with the European pommel horse medal? Probably, Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, and like. Did we think we'd see Joe Fraser with a European pommel horse medal? Probably not, right? Him making the final was a big surprise. But, um, yeah, so the, the top three were the only ones that really had clean routines. And, of course, the big surprise was that Reese McLennigan, who qualified in first with, like, a good routine, but, like, not quite up to his normal standard, so everyone was like, oh, he's going to go out in the final and, and nail it. And he was up last in the final and he fell. And it was just like, whoa, what? What just happened? Let's get um, it all out before the Olympics, guys. Yeah. Better now than Tokyo. <laughs> um, I do want to mention the other Armenian in this final, though. Uh, Gajik Kachikian, who is a first-year senior, he won the bronze at Junior Euros in 2018. Yeah, and he was very close to a medal as well. He was only 0.033 behind bronze, um, but he had some significant form breaks, which was a shame. But again, he's only 18, so um, I think we'll be seeing a lot of him in the future. Um, rings. So to no one's surprise, Eleftherios Petrunius won with a very big score of 15.4. Yeah, and it is probably worth mentioning, if he gets this score in Doha, he will be going to Tokyo. A lot is on the line for Doha. Basically, if, if he wins and gets that score, um, then he's going. Um, but I 
do want to say I think the judging, like the ring scores at Euros were a bit um, loose. Yeah, is probably the right word for it. Like they weren't. Yeah, they were a bit. I don't know. Just especially in qualifying, I was like, these scores seem very high. Like for people who wouldn't usually get scores like in the fourteens or anything. Um. So, just because he did it at Europeans, you know, the the World Cups is like it's a different set of judges. He might not necessarily be able to score as high again. Um, I don't know, but I think he can if he does like a good routine. He definitely is looking more um, like he did in, say, 2017 when he was regularly scoring those type of scores. Mm -hmm. So it's possible. It's possible. It's going to be it's going to be a close one. Um, And anyway, and then, of course, the extremely expected silver medalist was um Nikita Nagorni <laughs> surprise surprise third think, medal of the day I mean I would love to know when the last time someone went to like a Europeans and won a pommel horse medal and a rings medal in the same day there's not a lot of guys who specialize in both but um, it's Nikita, so. Yeah, and also, like I said, as he did in the floor final, he brought out a spontaneous upgrade um, up to his difficulty from 6.1, from, from 6 to 6.1, and scored a 15.033, so go him. Yeah, and then our bronze medalist, turned out to be Salvatore Maresca from Italy with a 14.9, which um, I don't think I knew too much about Maresca at the beginning of this year. But, you know, 2021 seems to be his year. He's kicking butt. Yeah, I basically did not know who he was when he showed up at Europeans. I was like, okay, and then he won a bronze medal because, I guess, Italy and rings. They have a strong legacy there. so Very strong legacy. Um, and he also had the second highest difficulty of the final um, after Petronius, so that helped. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, reigning world champion Ibrahim Cholak placed fifth in his final. Um, he didn't have his highest difficulty here. It was only a 6.0, and I think he usually maxes out around 6.2. So I'm not sure why he didn't do his hardest routine here. Well, he had he had surgery not, like, well, it was that still was quite like a while ago, but... It was a year I mean, ago, still be, but... I don't know. Maybe he's just saving it for... Hmm. I mean, he... he Historically, he has not done that great at Europeans. Like in 2019, I remember he, he didn't, didn't even, even make, make the, the final. final. Yeah. And then he went on to be world champion. So how he does here is definitely not going to 
be a reflection of how he'll necessarily do in the Olympics. Um, I also do want to say that other than Petrunius, the other seven finalists all scored within five tenths of each other. That that usually ends up being the case with rings, that it's all very close together. But yeah. I just think it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And there was like a like the big names are in this final. Like guys who appear in rings finals all the time. So Avatesian for Armenia, Cholak, Igor Radivilov, Vincent Hoke, and um, Vaughn Davtian, all like well known rings guys. Right. If anything, Maresco was like the least well known out of all of them. Yeah. And I remember before the final, I was like, oh, look at all these, like, this group of, like, big ring specialists. And then there's Nikita. And then Nikita got silver. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't have anything else to say about that. Yeah. Okay. Vault. I don't remember a lot about this other than Artur Daftian. Did not do a very good first vault. Yeah, but then his second vault was like the most beautiful Dragulescu the world has ever seen. Yeah, he does have a very good Dragulescu. I don't know if his execution that he was given, it wasn't his best. It's very good, but it wasn't the best one he's ever done. No, but I think compared, so I went through um when i was rewatching, i went through and every guy in this final so six of them did a dragalescu one of them which is medvedev did a blanet and one did a risa guangtu which is the pike dragalescu so that's igor so they all did like a similar you know handspring double flipping mm-hmm. vault and of all of them, Davtian's was by far the best. Yeah, but his execution score doesn't re- really reflect that. Yeah, I don't know how that vault only got like two tenths higher execution than Nikita's. Because that was like the worst Dragulescu Nikita has done. Probably ever. <laughs> so... Do you want to talk about Nikita's other vault? I I like to not acknowledge Nikita's second vault. <laughs> um, I like to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, I know he won worlds with it, but I just it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, he just kind of I don't want to say died, but he he basically knew halfway through the vault he wasn't making it, so he just kind of rolled out what was the vault again i forgot super double pike right all right so anyway our european vault champion is Igor radivilov he did the pike stragulescu or reset going to however you want to call it and i think it was the best one i've seen him do um it was still quite low 
but I think definitely better than his other attempts, which have been largely to the face. <laughs> um, I don't know how else to, to put it. Um, so, yeah, it was very impressive, even though there were, you know, some obvious improvements to be made. Um, and then he basically leapt halfway across the map, landed his suit <laughs> double pipe. But it was enough to win. So I'm really happy for him. He, he was the defending champion from 2020. Yeah, I just remember in 2019 when he hit his first vault and crashed his second vault and he was, like, devastated. Like, I always remember that. So it's nice to see him winning. Our silver medalist is Andre Medvedev from Israel. And, like, half of these guys are all, most of them are all very close to each other. You would expect a bit more of a spread, but. Yeah, like, second to sixth were all within, like, two and a half tenths. Yeah, Medvedev's another one who can be quite inconsistent. In 2020, he didn't make the final. He won silver in 2019. And so, I guess, yeah, another silver. That was was after the inquiry, right? Yeah. Yep. He got his his pipe shape credited straight away this time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then in third was Gianni Regini Moran, who he's been to Worlds. Uh, but this was his first senior Europeans. Um, his first vault was really nice. He did a um, cast double. And his second vault is a Dragolescu, which is not the same level as his first vault. Um, but it was enough here to get the bronze medal. So uh, very exciting for him to... Because obviously, you know, it was the big hype. Him as a junior, he was, like, the floor and vault guy. And then he got injured and he had to, like, relearn all his skills. So to see him win uh, a senior medal is quite nice. Carol Barth. Now, this one this one had, had me biting my fingers. Yeah, this was an interesting final for sure. So, let's just get this out of the way. Nikita desperately needed to take a nap um, and ended up in sixth place. So Yeah, he, he missed his, um, his like, combination of peach to one rail, and then he didn't get the Healy out of it. He just kind of noped. So, anyway, um, our... Parallel Bars champion for the second year in a row was Farad Arjan of Turkey. Yeah, with a 15.3. Yeah, really cool that he can win two times in a row. So that's always exciting. Yeah, so I, I know going into this final, I really desperately wanted Lucas Dowser to win or at least medal and I knew it would be possible um did he qualify in first I can't remember yes right 
So he qualified in first and at at the last world championships. Which was in Germany. He, right. He I wanted him to again, I wanted him to win so badly. You know, he's at home and it just it could have happened. And then it didn't, and I was very upset, which is why I wanted it even more this go-around. I feel and like every competition there is, everyone's like, please, God, can Lucas Stelzer win parallel <laughs> bars? Please, God. And then he never does. Um, but he got a bronze medal here, so we got something. <laughs> right, right. So he actually tied with Christian Bauman of Switzerland and they were not able to break the tie so both of them got bronze and it was actually very funny because I remember as this final was happening I was like I can't I can't remember who went first was it Dowser yeah I think Bauman was up last in the final I want to say or like near the end right so I remember Bauman went up, also did a fantastic routine. And I was like, I don't know which one I want to medal more. Can they tie? And, you know, once the score popped up a couple minutes later, they tied. I was like, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> we can all thank you specifically. <laughs> I didn't actually do anything. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um our silver medalist was David Beliavsky. So. Woo. Yeah. And fifth place. Who was in fifth? Ilya Kaftan. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to high bar. So this was another very interesting final because several of the top guys did not do very well in qualifying, including my favorite person ever, Tin Serbich. So that was upsetting on a personal level. <laughs> yeah. Tin and Epka and um, Tvorigal, who is the defending champion, um, Bart, uh, there were loads. There were so many who were expected to make the final and did not. Right, which just made the final more interesting. So, um, right. So, coming into the final, um, Andreas Toba of Germany was the top qualifier, which um a little surprising it was his first ever event final as well so it was like a big deal wait really yeah he said it was his first ever like event final at european i just i just, I just feel like he's been around for ages so yeah. like he had to have been in one before yeah but no so he's been in all around finals that's but he true. I think the big thing was, like, he's never made an event final before. 
Right. So Toba came in as the top qualifier. Um, his routine in the final was good, but not as good as his qualifying score. So he ended up with the silver medal. So to get a medal in your first event final is pretty cool. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> so David Belyovsky did like, he did the cleanest routine of the whole final. And he was like against all odds, like all these great high bar guys were going up and like having mistakes or whatever. So he was in first place. And then Pablo Brega, who is like uh. a top, top high bar guy, was up last. And I jokingly said, <laughs> oh, like no offense to Pablo, but it would be nice if like David was European high bar champion. It's your fault. I was fault. like, and then, and then Pablo fell. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> but we did get David Belyavsky European high bar champion which was definitely not something anyone expected he was super excited about it he was so excited and he cried on the podium and it was amazing <laughs> um, also want to mention our bronze medalist Ademasi yes he is, like, he's good on high bar, obviously, because he won a medal. But that's not, like, one of his, like, more well-known events, I would say. Like... Yeah, I think... I think, I think of him as, like, more... being strong on, like, rings and vault. Right. Yeah. Um... I also want to give a shout-out to um, Christian Balash, who... This was his first year as a senior... And he made the high bar final. So wasn't he, he a senior last year? Um, yes, but no. He competed at junior Europeans last year. Oh. So he's a year older than um Ilya Kovtun, but uh this was his first like big senior competition. Um and he made the high bar final, which it's very cool. Unfortunately, he fell in the final, but um, yeah. Hi, Bob. Woo. <laughs> Shall we move on to the African Championships? Yes, and can I just say, like, major shout out to the African Gymnastics Federation for streaming their championships on YouTube. So, I like, think we that's, just it's, the, it it's on. the Egyptian federation is it the egyptian federation okay well so you could just turn it on watch it it was brilliant it was great like why isn't everyone doing this yeah they did a really good job with the cairo world cup as well so because there were like 10 different competitions going on in this one weekend i did not watch african championships so if there's anything you would like to recap for us, now's the time. Um, so Omar Mohammed, um, who was who became African champion and qualified to Tokyo, 
He is awesome. He's so good. I was very, very impressed by him. I'm very excited to see him in Tokyo. Um, I think he could, on a good day, make the all-around final if he has a good time in qualifying because I think he broke 81 at African Championships. So, yeah, it's just really great to see. He's really powerful. He's got, like, he's really clean. Um, He was so far ahead of the rest of the field that as soon as he finished his high bar routine he like he knew he'd made it um so that was really exciting and then the second qualifying spot for tokyo so went to uche eke of nigeria um so this is nigeria's first ever gymnast to qualify to the olympics so that is very exciting um there was like a lot of hype around him going into this because he did NCAAs? Yes, he competed for Michigan. So that's the same school that um, Sam McCulloch went to, the one that um, Paul Judah and Cameron Bach attend now. Yeah. So the like all the American guys were like watching it. I kept getting people being like, "Oh, like how's he doing? Is he on track?" Um, so that was really nice. He actually ended up third in the all around. But because it's one per country, he qualified to Tokyo. Yeah, very cool. But but I don't think (gasps) they had event finals or anything. I think it was just all around. Yeah, I think it was just one day of competition for the entire championships. Yeah. Our next continental championships is or was the Pan American Championships. So there were a couple of contenders for the plus one spots. Um, Notably, Canada withdrew a couple weeks before. So they had a pretty good shot um, from a couple of their gymnasts to qualify. But, you know, Canada decided, you know, for the safety of, both the Canadians and the Brazilians not to attend, which had to have been a tough decision. Special times call for special measures, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was, you know, for the gymnasts, of course, it was sad. But um, ultimately, you know, the right decision, uh, considering the circumstances for them, they, I, I know... I'm not sure about any of the others, but I know that Felix Dulcie posted on Instagram, like, you know, it's the right decision, like, it's disappointing, but, you know, it makes sense. So um, he seemed to take it fairly well, all things considered. And Canada does have a male gymnast going to Tokyo, um, Rene Conway, qualified through 2019 Worlds. So they, they, they've still got someone going, even though. Um, they couldn't qualify anyone through Panams. Right. So, where was I going to go with this? So, pull Judah. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, USA had an interesting strategy for this. So, 
teams could technically consist of five gymnasts, but you know, you're only allowed to put four up on an event. So they decided to bring four all-arounders to maximize their chances of getting one of the plus one spots. And it worked out because Paul Judah placed second and got that plus one spot for USA. So. Woo, got pool. Yeah, so the all-around winner was um, Caio Sousa of Brazil, but he went to Worlds where Brazil qualified a team. So um, Brazil ended up getting a plus one spot anyway because Diogo Soares, who competed at American Cup last year, came in third behind Paul Judah. So um, they get a spot for the team as well. It's not specifically for Diogo. Yeah, um, so as for some of the other contenders who were not able to qualify, um, yeah, so unfortunately, Josimar Calvo of Colombia did not have a great meet um, throughout the whole championships. It just didn't seem like anything was going his way. And it just made me very sad. So yeah, it was it was sad to watch. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Hosima has been out with injury for a couple of years, so he didn't go to 2019 Worlds. This was like his only chance to qualify. And at his like normal, like before his injury, the way he looked, he should have probably qualified fairly straightforwardly but you know he's been out for quite a long time so this was like his big comeback and yeah it just did not go his way um the whole time it was kind of like he doesn't look that great he's making little mistakes and then he ended up falling on the floor and so even he was in the first subdivision but he was second um out of the colombians in after the first subdivision so just totally out of it altogether which was sad i do want to note though he did um compete his uh 6.7 difficulty parallel bars routine it was it wasn't great but he did it but yeah his his teammate uh javier sandoval had a great day and he came very close to qualifying but unfortunately did not yeah so i wasn't able to watch most of pan ams because it was in the dead middle of the night also because there were a million things going on that weekend (laughs) and there were a million things going on that weekend but also this particular thing was in the middle of the night so i did my best (laughs) To watch as much as I could, but some things just weren't happening. Right. Also, before I move on to event finals, did want to say um, Audrey Sneen-Reyes, who was another one of the contenders for the plus one spot, ended up only doing like two events and then just didn't 
finish all around and I'm not really sure why. So I don't I don't know if he's still injured or or what, but I think most people had expected him to do all six events and he didn't. So Yeah. He's kind of one of those gymnasts who's kind of always injured. I feel like every major championships leading up to it is like, oh he could like challenge for a vault medal. He could make the final, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets injured, like in qualifications or in training or something. It's just really unfortunate that he's kind of injured all the time. So I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he is injured again. So I also want to mention um, in the all-around, I don't know what to call it because it was like all-around qualification and final and team final anyway on the first day of competition another guy from brazil i thought was really impressive tomas rodriguez who is not a first year senior he was born in 2000 but tends to get overshadowed by a lot of his teammates i guess um he did very well so I just wanted to mention him. It was really frustrating because there were four subdivisions for the men, and both Brazil and USA were in the third subdivision. So I tried watching I tried watching this whole subdivision, and because it was a Brazilian channel that was broadcasting or streaming it. They only showed the Brazilians. We only got Cameron Box parallel bars, which was unfortunate because that was the one routine he fell on. And we got like a portion of Riley Luce's floor. But otherwise, we didn't see any of the American routines. It was a little frustrating that I thought they were a little more balanced with the women where they were able to show other countries within the subdivision that Brazil was competing in. But when it came to the men, they just only focused on the men basically. So, Oh, Oh, we need to talk about the, uh, sandbags. <laughs> oh, when Riley broke the vault. So the U S started on rings meaning they went to vault second. And Brazil was one event behind them, I guess. So they went to vault after the Americans. And this is actually how I think we ended up seeing Cameron Bach do parallel bars, but um, they just took forever to start vaulting. And then... I think someone said on Twitter that they were securing the vault. And I'm like, what do you mean securing the vault? Like, you know, a bunch of other people just vaulted perfectly fine on it. And (laughs) so then eventually the camera scans to the vault and they have like one or two dozen sandbags around the base of the vault to like, I don't know, I guess it wasn't. you know nailed into the floor or whatever so it was very 
wobbly. I don't know. It seemed very not safe. (laughs) I don't know what happened because, again, this was the third subdivision and nobody else had problems. And just for it to, I don't know, it was very weird. Obviously brings up a bunch of safety questions, but uh, the next the next day they um, they had like some sort of block thing around it, so they didn't have sandbags anymore. But I don't know what was up with that. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to talk about the event finals. Finally. So the floor final wasn't the cleanest, I guess. The only one, only person who got above an eight in execution was Israel Cheriboga from Ecuador. And he ended up winning with a 13.55, which was... Several tenths above our second place finisher, Tomas Rodriguez. So, um, they all kind of had similar difficulty for the most part. So, the fact that Chiriboga was much cleaner than any, anyone else definitely is what put him ahead. Oh, I should probably mention <laughs> the the Americans basically left right after they got their plus one spot. So any finals that any of them had technically qualified for, they did not compete in. So Pommel Horse was kind of all over the place. Um the the two guys with higher difficulty in this final were Jose Marcavo and then um, Chico Barreto. And like we mentioned, Calvo did not have a great championships and unfortunately he fell. Um, I can't remember if it was more than once, but um, he finished sixth. And... Uh, Barreto, who had the highest difficulty of the final at a 6.0, he still finished in third, technically. So, what was really interesting about this final is that the top three finishers all had the same score of a 13.0. So, they had to break a three-way tie on this. So the winner of the Pommel Horse final, final was Santiago Mayol of Argentina. Uh, the silver medalist was Javier Sandoval. And then Barreto got the bronze. So I just thought it was kind of funny that all of them technically got the same score. Yeah, and we thought it was wild that at Europeans, two people tied for first. Um, yeah, so I think going into the rings final, there were 
two guys basically fighting it out for the title. And that was um, Federico Molinari of Argentina and then Caio Sousa. And Caio Sousa ended up winning with a 14.7. And Molinari got the silver with a 14.5. So that was that was pretty cool. And um, the bronze ended up going to Christopher Bojorquez from Colombia, who honestly I didn't know anything about coming into this meet, but I thought, particularly on rings, he was pretty impressive. So, so the vault finals at Pan Am's wasn't much of a contest, if I'm being honest. Um, Kaya Saza did two 5.6 vaults. Nobody else did a 5.6 vault at all. So he had a huge dif- difficulty advantage. So Sousa ended up winning by four tenths, which is kind of nuts. Um, Silver medalist was Fabian de Luna of Mexico, and the bronze medal went to Danielle Villafagne. So parallel bars. So I thought parallel bars was going to be one of the more competitive finals here but uh once again Kyo Sousa pretty much smoked everyone he didn't have the highest difficulty in this final but he had the highest execution by several tenths so he won with a 14.9 um and second was Javier Sandoval with a 14.5 and then in third was Diogo Suarez, um, who was not as good as he was in qualifying or all around, whatever you want to call it, the day one. Um, in day one, he actually had a 9.1 in execution, which is crazy. But he was about eight tenths down on that in the event final. But he still got bronze. And unfortunately, this was another event final for Jose Marcabo that did not go very well. Um, And then high bar final. Going into this, the top qualifier was our reigning world champion, Arthur Nori Mariano of Brazil. And he had the highest difficulty of this final at 6.5. But... Um, unfortunately he fell three times, so he ended up in last place, which was not expected, but our winner in this final was Javier Sandoval with a 13.9. He had a great championship, so I'm super happy he can walk away with the title. I'm very happy for him. So in second place was... Jose Martinez, also of Colombia, and third went to Santiago Mayol, the pommel horse champion from Argentina. And that was Pamiams. Okay. And while all of this was going on in Brazil, there was also U.S. nationals going on in America, obviously. 
Do you want to say anything about that? (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. A lot happened. Right. So on day one. Well, should we talk about Sam first? Because obviously that's the big, the biggest kind of story. Yes. So going into this, it was kind of expected that Sam Mikulak would win again because he's won six times before. But on day one, he had a disaster. Like, he only actually fell one time, if I'm remembering correct. There was only one technical actual fall, but the other events, aside from high bar and vault, were rough. So after day one, he was in seventh place. Yeah, you know what? I know, obviously, Sam winning another title was a big talking point going into these national championships, but I was always a little hesitant to he's had issues with his elbow. I know he was vlogging for a bit. I don't know if he still is, but I didn't watch any of them. I was like, I don't really know how he looks. I don't want to make that assumption that he's just going to win again. I don't know. I don't want to be like, I told you so, but I wasn't as confident as everyone else, I guess. I mean, there's a few guys in the U.S. who are really good, but you also are never quite sure what you're going to see from them, including Brody Malone, who ended up winning nationals. Um, He's struggled in the past to, like, recreate at, like, national-level competition, the same kind of form that he shows at NCAA championships. Yeah, he really... uh, This was, like, the best he's performed at, like, a national-level event. Well, I think this was actually his first senior national championships. It was, wasn't it? Because in 2019, he was at... Games, and they Um, they allowed the guys who went to Pan Ams to skip nationals. Yeah, and then he just he didn't participate in 2018 when he was transitioning into NCAA. So, yeah, to win the national all around title at your first senior national championships is kind of (laughs) crazy. Yeah, so he was the only person who got a score higher than 85, and his day one score was 86. Yeah, I think we also need to mention his day two high bar, which cracked 15. He started on parallel bars and then fell on parallel bars. So we're like... Is he still going to win? Like, he has a bit of a cushion right now, but, you know, we still have five events left. And then he pulled out this crazy high bar routine, super clean, 
you know, obviously high difficulty, nailed the dismap, and from there, it was like smooth sailing, and he killed the rest of the meat. So, well, he could he could improve on floor. Both days, his floor was a little happy. So we talked about Sam having problems on day one, but he actually got the highest score of on day two, which was an eighty four point nine five which was exactly two and a half points higher than he got on day one. Um, So he ended up bringing himself up to third place overall. As we said, Brody won. And then in second place for like the third consecutive year uh, was Yul Moldauer. Yeah, so in fourth place after two days of competition, um, very exciting, uh, was Brandon Briones, who I am a big fan of. I yeah, I just... was not expecting him to be up there in fourth place at all. He did great. Was this his first senior national championships as well? I was about to say no, but I think it was because he, he did do Winter Cup last year. Right. But um, didn't have the best weekend. So he's like, I know we were saying for Brody, it was his first senior nationals because he didn't go in 2019 but for brandon this is like genuinely his like his first senior one right that he's been eligible for he would have been eligible last year but yeah yeah well that didn't happen (laughs) so (laughs) no it didn't so yeah very exciting to see the youngsters coming through um, yeah, a, a lot of people have referred to it as a bit of changing of the guard, which I don't know if I necessarily like that phrase, but... Um, I'm also yeah. not sure if it's necessarily true. I mean, you've still got all the same guys like Yul, Sam, Alan, Akash up there. It's just that there's also these couple of other guys. It's not like they've taken over. No. Rounding out um, our top six who got automatically selected to the national team was Alan Bauer in fifth and Akash Modi in sixth. So I'm sure if you don't know anything about what happened at nationals, you're probably like, where's Shane? Oh, Shane. (sighs) He... Oh, Shane. What... Yeah, this was a little disappointing. He was on track to finish, like, second or third. And his very last routine, which was high bar, he fell, was it three times? And then a fourth, like, onto the bar. It was... um. Very not good, to put it lightly. Um, I know there was a lot of discussion afterwards about whether he should have continued after a certain point, And, you know, a lot of discussion about what head injury protocols USAG has. Yeah, I haven't seen the routine because I didn't watch live and 
Um, I feel like that's not something that I need to see. Uh, but like, you know, I came up on on my yeah. my push notifications on my phone, like recommended to watch, and I'm like, I'm suing you for emotional distress, YouTube. Yeah, like I just saw the I saw the thumbnail for the video, and I was like, even that is terrifying. Like, oh my god. So yeah, I hope he is very much okay and got like, checked out thumbnails. and everything safety first guys like i get i i get the mentality of it but i also think there has to be a point where someone steps in and is like maybe stop i don't know but he was still despite finishing ninth he was still was it petition or was it just like he was added or was it sorry i can't no he, he didn't need a petition after the six top all-arounders they do it um they picked the next couple guys off of their 10 point system which is kind of annoying but um system they added to the team um shane uh ian gunther from stanford um gage dyer from oklahoma and Eddie Panev, who was also the floor winner here. Um, I know following the competition, I was a little confused on who they were naming to the national team because, you know, they had a list of, like, criteria to make the national team. And Eddie could have fit under a couple of those points. And I guess I was just confused at first that they were adding Eddie under the 10-point the system rather than his floor scores being really good, I guess. Yeah, I kind of would have expected they would do it so that the most possible guys made the national team. But, I mean, I don't know why I expected that. It's USAG. That's not how they do things. <laughs> They've expanded the national team to um, they had a max of 21, which is actually a pretty big deal because um, with the exception of last year after Winter Cup, I think before that, the national team had always, well, not always, but for several years had only had 12 spots. And they were all funded spots. Like USAG only had enough for 12 funded spots on the national team. And I think in, was it 2018? I think there was Pacrams or Panams or something that was in September, like shortly before Worlds, um, where they basically didn't have enough of their national team members to go to this competition because obviously most of them were on like the world championship squad so they had to like technically dip into their junior national team to find the guys who were like 18 so they could compete um i remember riley was one of them but um yeah so they basically didn't have enough guys on the national team to compete 
and they decided we don't want to do this again. So as of last year at Winter Cup, they expanded it to 16 members, I think. I don't know. I can't remember the exact number. But they expanded the national team. They still only had funding for 12 spots. But they still expanded the national team. Yeah, so so this year they expanded the national team even further and had a max of 21 members. So, I don't know. I was pretty excited about that. They still only have 12 spots. 12, sorry, 12 funded spots, which they'll determine who gets funding after Olympic trials. But um, Which is smart because can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if they were like, okay, these guys get funding, these guys don't, and then one of the non-funded guys made the Olympic team. Yeah. That would be embarrassing for them. <laughs> so at least with this expanded national team, I'm not upset about anyone being left off. Really? Or I'm not mad about anyone being included when I think they shouldn't have been included, which has happened in the past. So um, anyway, the whole national team is um, also includes the four guys who competed at Pan Am's plus the alternate Danelle Wittenberg. Um, and I think the only people I haven't mentioned that are, have been named to the national team um, or defended his rings title. Um, Steven Nedarasik, who won Pommel Horse, um, and Alec Yoder, who was right behind Nedarasik, and the two. And the last, and rounding out the national team, we have. Robert Neff, Matt Wenske, and Colin did not compete at the national championships due from an illness. So he petitioned to compete at Olympic trials. His petition was granted, but he was not technically named to the national team. Oh. We need to talk. Sorry. Did you want to talk about Pommel Horse? Oh, I just, um, so I know like all the Pommel Horse like hype was about Steve. Um, but Alec Yoda showed up with the same difficulty and only scored um, like combined over the two days 0.15 lower than him. So like, I absolutely do not think it's a done deal that Steve is going to get the plus one for uh, the Olympics. I think it's between Steve and Alec for Pommel Horse. Like, Alec could totally, like, win Pommel Horse at Olympic trials. That's definitely, like, a thing that could happen. And then there's also, like, Gage and Eddie for Floor and Vault. So, exciting times. Yeah. I do want to mention... I can't remember which day it was on, but Gage did stick a Kaz double on vault. Yeah. Was, that was super cool. Yeah. 
Um, and then on rings, it was a hotly anticipated comeback from Brandon Wynn. And he had a 6.2 difficulty routine, which he competed both days. But the first day, it just looked like he didn't really have the endurance. And I think he fell on the dismount. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So he only got a 13.5 on the first day. Did much better on the second day for 14.3, but still wasn't enough for the title. And they did not accept his petition to trials. So he's not in the conversation for that plus one spot. Okay. So before trials, do you want to like make any predictions? Uh, I think, I think the team is probably going to be Brody, Sam, Yule, and one other person. Who's I don't know. The other person's going to be, call it now, call it. No, no. Yes. yes. <laughs> no. Yes. I can't. So no. my thinking is with Yule on the team, they need a high bar guy. I, I think I said this to you, like, the guys who went to Pan Ams, they all did really well, but I'm not sure I see them as being, like, really in contention because their difficulty is not very high. I don't know. So they could they could show up to Olympic trials and, like, have upgrades or just, like, be so good that they outscore guys with more difficulty, but I don't think any of them are front runners. Obviously, Shane had his mishap um, on high bar, but he could be a good fit, I think. Also want someone who's a little more consistent on pommel horse. So I think between high bar and pommel horse, Akash could be a good fit as well. Yeah, and I said I said this to you before nationals. I remember I was like, no one is talking about him. He has made every like well, he's made the last two worlds teams. Um, you know, he's always been like right up there in the conversations, and no one's talking about him. Yeah, I mean, you know who's great on pommel horse is Alan Bauer, but he's not strong on high bar, so that's not really a that's a no go really. I just don't want to think about if he gets named as alternate again. Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen, isn't it? It's going to happen. He's going to have been alternate for an entire Olympic cycle. I'm frustrated on his behalf. <laughs> yeah, I cannot even imagine how that feels. Um, right, what's next on the agenda? Japan. 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 Yes, finally. I love Japan. So Japan and their, like, most complex, involved, terrifying selection procedure of all time (laughs) actually ended up spitting out the most perfect possible team. It did. So it's very dramatic. I don't know where I should start, like... 
where should I start? <laughs> the All Japan All Around results. Okay, so so All Japan All Around qualifications happened, and the surprise in qualifications was that Daiki ended up down in seventh. But then, in the final, he scored an 88.5 to win nationals. And, like, 88.5 is not a normal person score. No, <laughs> um, that's that's a Nikita score. That's a Nikita score. It's not as high as the score that Nikita won Worlds with, but it's close, right? And, like, I know it's a domestic competition, but, like, the scores weren't insane. It's, like, maybe, like, a few tenths here and there. But, like, Japanese scores aren't completely insane. So it's a, it's a very big score. Like, I think only, like, a couple of other guys the whole year have broken 87 um, in Japan. So that was, like, whoa, oh, my God. And then, so... The top three, well, the top four after All Japan were Daiki, Wataru was in second, Kazuma was in third, and Miwa Tepe was in fourth, which was literally something that no one saw coming at all. And then so the rules are that for an automatic spot, you have to place top two at NHK. So you go into NHK... And, like, these guys, like, it's a high-pressure situation. <laughs> um, no kidding. And then Daiki didn't have, like, as good of a day at NHK as he did at All Japan. But, like, it was good enough. He, like, held on to his lead, uh, got the number one automatic spot. And then the drama really came for that second spot because, like, the entire competition was going back and forth between Kazuma and Wataru. And just, Wataru... Just- just to confirm, they added the All Japan and the NHK scores together. Yes, so they add them together. So it's the total of like, three days of competition. Yeah. yeah. So All right. Japan quals, okay. finals, and NHK. And the entire final is going back and forth between Kazuma and Wataru. Kazuma, Wataru, Kazuma, Wataru. And then on the final event, Wataru, um, he didn't fall, but he missed a hand. On his um, on one of his release skills on high bar, so Kazuma got the second automatic spot by like less than a tenth. So it was very dramatic. So you've got these two guys with their automatic spots. So the selection rules were that for the like third spot had to go to someone who was top five from NHK, and then the fourth spot had to go to someone who was top ten, and then they count so it. It's this whole thing. I've got an I've got articles up on the website that kind of explain the whole thing um, in more detail. But basically, um, the last selection event was event championships, which was two weeks after NHK, and um, basically it was like they need to try and get the maximum scores possible to bring up their contributions to the team. Wataro got the third spot because. Um, He's Wataru. He just, it's a no-brainer, really. And then the fourth spot was the big drama because uh, Kitsuno Takeru, who 
we all know is amazing. He was in first after qualifying at All Japan Championships. Then in the final, he fell on high bar and injured both of his elbows. And then he had three weeks to recover for NHK. He showed up with his elbows, like, like his whole arm covered in tape, downgraded routines. So he ended up in ninth after NHK because of all this, like, elbow stuff. So I was like, oh, my God, I don't think he's going to make it. He shows up to event championships and, like, does his best routines of the entire year. At full difficulty. At full difficulty. Like, his highest scores of the year. It was insane. I was just sat there watching the scores come in, like, surely not. Because before that, I had been, like, working out my numbers and stuff. And I thought the fourth spot was going to go to um, Sugino Takagi, who is less of a strong all-around guy, um, but is very strong on pommel horse and high bar and has uh, a 5.6 volt. So those would be his three events to contribute. And I was like, Takeru needs to do, like, better than he's ever done before to get this spot. And I just don't think it's going to happen. And it did. (laughs) It was incredible. It was, yeah, I I don't know. I have no idea how he did that. And it literally came down to they both made the high bar final. And it was basically just like, if Takeru hits this high bar routine, he gets the spot, like, mathematically. He needed, like, 13.7 or something. Um, he does this routine, he hits, and you see, because um, they show this on TV, and, of course, Japan are all about the drama. So they see, like, you see this routine, and then they show Takaki in the background, like, like realizing that he's not getting an Olympic spot, and it was That's just the worst. It was it was a lot, but I mean the thing is, I think that Takeru, if this whole injury thing hadn't happened, had a very good chance. I don't want to say it would definitely would have happened because you never know, but had a very good chance of getting uh, top two at NHK. Like had he not. Um, had the injury uh, that made him not be able to finish a routine and then he had to downgrade. Um, he was definitely one of the favourites for one of those two spots. So thank God he managed to yeah, perform like that at event championships because the whole time I was like, oh my God, if he's doing this now, but he still doesn't make the team because of like those routines he did while he was two weeks off this awful injury... I was like, they've got to do something. But he made it anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> but there's there's still probably a decent chance that Sigino will be named as reserve, right? Yeah, I think he's a no-brainer for the reserve because he was within tenths of making this team. And I actually think, had things played out differently at NHK, like, he could have made it over... This is just all hypothetical, but I feel like if, like, Wataru had gotten the the second spot at NHK, like, I think Kazuma, who obviously is, like, the team leader guy, he actually could have been in danger um, because of where the contributions would have been. But, 
that didn't happen. So I think, yeah, Takaki is a no-brainer for alternate. They haven't announced the alternates. I don't know who they're going to be or how many they're going to name. But I'm not sure who they will for the other spots because you've got Tepe, who came fourth at NHK, but at event championships, he, like, bombed everything. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see who they name. Because I think for Rio, they actually named four alternates. Like, most countries named three, but they named four. Um, And obviously, they won't have the problem that other countries will have where if alternates will be allowed into Japan or not. Because they're the hosts. Because they're the hosts. They're Japan. They're already there. That's where they live. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... Yeah, I don't know. I will be interested to see for sure. And also, like, um, Chiba Kenta ended up being, like, randomly in consideration, even though no one was talking about him before. Um, He placed 10th at NHK, and he was the only other guy in the top 10 who had three events higher than, like, the automatically selected guys. So, yeah. Strange times. Yeah. So Japan also had a plus one spot that they got um, when the all around World Cup series was canceled. And do you want to talk about that too? Yes. So it literally could not possibly have been more dramatic. Um, Every single uh, routine that everyone well everyone but mostly it was about the specialists did counted towards this point system um so they'd collected all the scores from the past world championships uh so 2019 world championships and the world cup circuit made this database and were like if you get higher than the highest score um by more than 0.2 you get 40 points If you get higher, but it's within 0.2, you get 30 points. If it's lower than the highest one, but higher than the second one, you get 20 points, etc., etc. So it was Uchimura Kohei and um, Yonakura Nobu were, like, basically battling it out every time they did a routine to get, like, 40 points, 30 points. Um, And they were tied going into event finals. They had the exact same number of points. No, no, they didn't. Sorry. Kohei had 10 more points than Yonakura. Yonakura got 30 points in the event final. So it was like, as long as Kohei gets 30, so he just needs to get a good score, then he'll get the spot. Like, he'll have the most points, it'll be fine. Um, But this is where it gets complicated. Because Daiki was named to the team, he then became part of the world like they were including his national scores in this database so it was basically like Kohei just needs to beat Daiki and he didn't so we were all watching like oh my god Kohei went the wrong way on his tack full which is a 0.5 deduction and in quals he scored like 15.7 so He's the best, basically, is Kohei. And 
um, and he got a 15.1 in the final after this mistake, and Daiki had gotten 15.133. So because Kohei's score was lower than Daiki's, he only got 20 points towards qualifying, which put him tied with Yonakura. So after his score came in, no one knew which of them was going to get the spot. And I still don't know how they did the tie break. Like, I haven't actually seen anything explaining it. My guess would be they drop the lowest one, and then so Kohei would drop the 20, and Yonakura would drop a 30, so which would put Kohei on top. But I don't know if that's how they did it. That's just speculation. Um, but Kohei got the spot. <laughs> um, everyone was very relieved. Uh, Yonakura still has the chance to get his own spot through the World Cup series. So it's not like over for him. But yeah, it was very dramatic. But again, ultimately ended with the ideal. Well, I mean, it's ideal for as far as I'm concerned, it's ideal because Kohei <laughs> is the favorite for Olympic gold. Um, yes. Not ideal for Yonakura, but <laughs> I think most people were pulling for Kohei to get it right. I think so. So it's 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 interesting that Yonakura still has the chance to qualify via the apparatus cups because so does Kameyama Kohei and he will be attending Doha as well. So I find it really interesting that uh Kameyama Kohei He's great on pommel horse, uh, but he is not that consistent. At event championships, he fell in qualifying and didn't make the final. And it's like if it was, so say it was like a, they had a second selection spot, he would not he would not be selected. But because he's been to these World Cups and he's got his World Cup points, uh, he is likely to end up going. So good for him. Like, fight the system. <laughs> I just think it's really funny because after, um, well, what was it? Baku was the last one before the world shut down. Yeah. Um, and but it was it was the one before that. He didn't go to Baku, did he? He went to Melbourne, and he didn't do like he came like fourth there, and they were like, "That's it, no more." Yeah. Yes, it was similar to the situation with Miyachi, where he didn't meet uh, JGA's internal standards. So they're like, we're not sending you to any more World Cups. And he is almost going to get the last laugh. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios um, that could play out in Doha. But also, again, I've got an article on the website that, like, details basically everything that needs that could happen. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. And Japan, JGA, they handle things weirdly. Like, you've got Miyachi who can still get a spot, but they're not sending him because of... I don't know why you wouldn't just send them 
you know, just to try. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Japan. So. so I think that's pretty much all I have to say about Japan. Um, I love the team. Um, I love that Kohei's going. I think the team has a real super big shot at winning team gold. I think it's I think they've definitely got a chance. Um, should we just talk about China quickly? Because that's probably the the other like most important thing that's happened. I think so. Okay. So before all this drama happened in Japan, there was Chinese nationals a few weeks before. We finally, after years of waiting, we got to see um, Zhou Jingwan do all around and he came fifth. So he's going to be named to the team. (laughs) I think he's got a chance, you know. I do think. I've decreed it. You know, I do, I do, could be a close call, but I think. I'm not being named, but. (laughs) You know, it's going to be close. I mean, there are just so many other people in the world who could contribute a 16 plus score on parallel bars. Um, No, he, he's a lot. He was always a lock. Uh, Him and Cheryl Tung were always locks. Um, So. The all-around podium at Nationals was Zhao Tang first. Second was Zhang Bohang, um, who is another up-and-coming youngster. <laughs> um, so he did quite well at Nationals last year, but not nowhere near as well as he did this year. This year he was leading after qualifying and ended up second, which means he beat, you know... Lin Chaopan, Dong Shudi, Sun Wei, uh, So Jingwan. Like, so basically, he's he's going to the Olympics, which kind of screws up everyone's predictions um, because they weren't predicting this. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think people were pretty set on like the core. Chinese team would you know the same team that's been to world championships like every year this cycle yeah because they had exactly the same team in 2018 and 2019 so Mm. the thought there is obviously it'll be the same guys but one of them's going to be an alternate instead of being on the main team um but now it's going to be two guys are gonna have to go um and because Sunway didn't do very well on the first day of nationals some people were like oh maybe he's not gonna make the team um but then he came back and he got the highest score of the entire championships in the all-around final so i think it's safe to say he's gonna be on the team also pommel horse if that's all that's all you need to say pommel horse like the other <laughs> the other guys not not that great on pommel horse. Um, they need the pommel horse guy. Um, so the team, like in all likeliness, is gonna be Sharutang, Zhang Bohang, So Jingwan, and Sun Wei. And then unfortunately that leaves 
Lin Xiaopan and Deng Shudi are going to be alternates, I guess. Um, which pretty hardcore sucks since, you know, they've been on every team. I especially feel bad for Lin Xiaopan. He's been on every single team since 2013. And he came third at Nationals. So, yeah. That's sad. I mean, it hasn't been confirmed yet. They've got another trial at the end of June. But I would be very surprised if it was anything other than those four. So that's like all the major um, championships. I think we're going to leave it there. There's been some uh, World Cups and things, but um, nothing that really has a significant impact on things. (laughs) Uh, So we might talk about that next time, maybe. yeah, and we'll talk about more of the teams that have been named in the next episode as well. Yeah. And if there's anything you'd like to know, just check the website. <laughs> there's a lot of information on there. Um, or just send a message or something. Cool. All right. That is it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>